All right, let's look at our scripture as we continue through the book of John. This is John 20, 11 through 18. You'll remember last week uh, that uh, John and uh, Peter uh, ran to the tomb. Uh, Mary went early and it was empty and Mary ran back and then John and Peter ran to the tomb. And that's where we pick it up from. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. What if I was in front of you right now to break down in tears? Not saying I'm going to, though you never know with me. What would you do? It's interesting when someone begins to cry in front of you, right? It It elicits an emotional response. Uh, Scientists have asked the question, pondered the question, why do we weep? It's a uniquely human trait to weep uh, because of emotional, uh, what we're feeling emotionally. They've come up with some answers, they think. One of them is in a social context, like I was just talking about it. It sends a message. It sends a cue that I am in great distress, and I have great need. Or it also sends a message maybe to some to stay away. But we cry also when we're alone, right? We cry individually. Why do we do that? And the best that the scientists have come up with is that it's fundamentally a self-soothing behavior. In other words, we cry in the setting of sadness and other negative emotions because it helps us feel better. When no one else can make us feel better, we try to make ourselves feel better, right? By self-soothing, by crying, by letting it all out. It doesn't take long in this life that you, until you experience sadness, right? Maybe you've gotten to the point, like Mary, where you're lost, and you have nowhere else to go, and no one can help. And all you can do is look to tears, but they're not enough to truly comfort us. See, that's what's going on with Mary, right? Her world has come crashing down. She has nowhere to go, and so she weeps. But Jesus meets Mary in her sadness. When no one else can meet her, Jesus can. How do we find joy in the midst of of sadness in life, when we are at the end of our rope, we look to Jesus, the one who is our hope in the face of despair 
and our joy in the face of sadness. Well, how do we do that? We walk in the path that Mary takes in this passage. Number one, we seek his face. We seek his face. Number two, you hear your name. And then finally, number three, we tell one another. So let's look at these points. Number one, we seek his face. So we know a little bit about Mary Magdalene, not a whole lot. She came from Magdala, a town. Um, And we know earlier in the scriptures that she had, uh, Jesus had driven seven demons out of her. It's about all we know, actually. So Mary was living in this point of darkness, this point of demonic oppression and possession. And Jesus leads her out. And we know that Jesus meant everything to her. And we know that because we can see that by the fact that at the crucifixion, she's there. At the burial, she's there. And on the resurrection morning, she's there again. Mary is there, continuing to come back, and she is devastated. We see in verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It's the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Jesus has been crucified. Mary and the, uh, some other women watched as Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, prepared spices and did the burial, and, and, and the stone was put in place, and then she went home accordance, in accordance with the Sabbath. And she comes back uh, after the Sabbath is over. It's still dark, and so uh, the, the dawn is just coming. And Mary's best hope that morning is to find the badly disfigured, decomposing body of Jesus still lifeless in the tomb. But when she gets there, it's even worse than that, isn't it? He's gone. And so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. The conclusion that she immediately jumps to is that the body of Jesus has been stolen. There's absolutely no hint, no understanding whatsoever that there's an alternative possibility that Jesus could have risen. So great is Mary's pain and suffering. So the disciples come, they look into the tomb, and then they go home. But we see here in verse 11 that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. Why didn't Mary go home with the other disciples? I think it's because she had nowhere else to go. She literally was at the end of her rope. She was frozen. She was paralyzed. Jesus had healed her. Remember, her life was in utter darkness, and Jesus had rescued her when no one else could. He had restored her sanity. He had restored her to community. For the first time in a very, very long time, Mary had felt loved, and she loved Jesus in return. And for the period of time that he was alive, she followed Jesus and cared for his needs because Jesus gave her hope. But now that hope was gone. Mary was hopeless and the darkness was returning and the despair that she had felt before was there again. And we see that Mary is weeping. 
And if you look at the Greek, it's not the kind of light crying. The, the translation would be sobbing or even wailing. It's the same word that's used when uh, Herod goes and kills all of the children in Bethlehem. And uh, the scripture said, it says, Rachel weeping for her children, for her children are no more. So think of the kind of crying when a mother loses her child in that kind of way. That's what Mary is feeling. She's sobbing and she stoops to look in the tomb. And she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? She doesn't seem to notice for some reason that these are angels, right? They're dressed in white. That's kind of a flag, right? But no, Mary is beyond logic and reason at this point. It's interesting that the angels are somewhat incredulous, aren't they? Woman, why are you weeping? Don't you understand what's going on? And having said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She becomes aware that there's this presence behind her. She's looking in the tomb, and so she turns around. But she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. How is that possible? Maybe it's the tears that are flowing over her eyes. Maybe it's because the last time she saw Jesus, his body was so bruised and bloody that it was almost unrecognizable. Totally different from what she sees before her right now. And Jesus says to her the same thing that the angels say. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. Jesus gives the exact same word of correction that the angels did. Why are you weeping? Why are you overcome with sorrow when I am alive? And then he says, whom are you seeking? In other words, why are you looking in that tomb for me? Don't you see the empty tomb, the grave clothes lying there? The stone that's been moved away from the mouth of the tomb. The angels that are sitting there. Mary, you've forgotten who I am. That I am the son of God. The one who came for you. The one who would never abandon you. See, Mary is looking for a dead Jesus. And a dead Jesus always brings sorrow. A dead Jesus is not enough. And when you look for a dead Jesus, you won't find him because he doesn't exist. I wonder how would I respond if Jesus meant to me what he meant to Mary and I was there at that time. On that Sunday, would I go to the tomb? Would I even get out of bed? When you lose hope, you know, it's very, very hard to get it back. And some of us have lost hope in this world, haven't we? Because this world is hard. Maybe you deal with sickness. Maybe you deal with long-term illness. And you're tired of fighting. Maybe you've lost loved ones. 
and the house feels very, very lonely. Maybe you in the midst and have dealt with broken relationships, unreconciled relationships, and the pain is there in your heart. Maybe you're old and many of your friends have gone on and you miss them. Even when everything may on the surface look good in your life, we all have unmet expectations, promises unfulfilled, and there's that temptation to be resigned to quiet despair. And for many of us, the Jesus that we seek is not enough. We try religion, but it leaves us as empty as before. Perhaps it's because the Jesus that we are looking for is the Jesus who is dead. He's a good example to follow. He can point the way of how I'm supposed to live. But the reality is that Jesus has no relevance or power in my life, nor can he penetrate the darkness and sadness in my heart. See, my friends, that's not the real Jesus. The living Jesus. For the living Jesus cannot be contained. He cannot be dead, for he is life. And if he is alive, he is here. And has the power to reach into the darkness of your heart and make it light. Do you know what the name Jesus actually means? It means the Lord is salvation. That's who he is. And there's no way that he can be salvation if he's dead. So you and I need to be reminded, even corrected, so that we can see clearly that Jesus is alive. The stone was rolled away and the tomb is empty. Historical evidence attests to it. Changed lives attest to it. That the one who has conquered death is alive and can overcome any problem in my life and fill any empty space. So look to a living Jesus. Seek his face, not his tomb. For Jesus is the one who is our hope in the face of despair and our joy in the face of sadness. So we need to seek his face, but we also need to, point number two, hear our name. Jesus says to her in verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus, uh, the Mary thinks it's the gardener. And this is very interesting. When the gardener asks this question, Mary turns back to the grave. We know that because in verse 16, when Jesus calls Mary's name, she turns around to look at Jesus. In other words, when he asks the question, the place that she automatically looks to to find Jesus is the tomb. She's looking to a place of death to find Jesus, who is right in front of her. She's looking in the wrong place. And Jesus can't take it anymore. So what does he do? He says to her, Mary. And that's when she turns from the tomb and looks at him and recognizes him and says to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. One word, 
Jesus speaks. Her name, which people say is the sweetest sound in any language. It's a profoundly personal word that Jesus gives to Mary as he calls her to himself. She turns to him and her grief is replaced with gladness and sorrow with celebration. Maybe her tears continue to flow, but they become tears of joy instead of tears of sadness. She calls him Rabboni, which actually means more than teacher. See, there's Rab, which means master or teacher. And it's only the Sanhedrin that can bestow the title rabbi on someone, which means a teacher qualified to take disciples. But Rabboni actually means my great master. She's saying, she's giving him the highest title. He is the one. He he is not just her master now, but her great master. As Jesus speaks to her. Now, Jesus waited, it seems, in some ways, until the other disciples left, right? He could have done it when Peter and John were there as well, but he didn't. Not to the crowd. He wanted her to specifically know that he was alive. He wanted to renew his relationship with her personally. Because Jesus' call to each one of us is profoundly personal. Jesus' invitation to you is not some scattershot general proposition thrown out at random. He calls each of us by name as well. Right? Remember John 10, verse 3? I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name, and they hear my voice. Or Isaiah 43, 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Jesus issues to you and me the same invitation. For he wants us to know that he sees us. And he wants us to know who he is. And that's why you're here today, right? Perhaps you've come seeking Jesus among the dead. Perhaps you're not looking for Jesus at all. You're looking in just about every other place for life, for peace, for pardon, for a clean conscience. But what you need and I need is to hear Christ calling us to himself. We need to know that he knows our name. And when when the call comes from Christ, it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit And it opens our eyes to see him in his fullness. My father has been dead for uh, five years about. And before he passed away, he had Alzheimer's. And so for several years before that, he really didn't recognize me and know who I was. But, you know, one thing you never, ever forget is your father's voice. To this day, I'm sure that if I was in a crowd of 500 people and my father called out my name, I would instantly know it because it's imprinted on my heart from when I was a baby. There is another voice that has been imprinted on our hearts. 
It's the voice of God, the one who made us. And we ran from it into the world and all that it promised us and never delivered. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world and found us. And he died on a cross to ransom and redeem us so that when he called our name, we would recognize his voice and not run from it, but run to it. See, when Mary heard her name from Jesus, she knew and she responded. So will you? He's calling you too. Are you listening? Do you want to be found? Will you answer the call and turn from all the wrong directions in which you've been looking and look to Christ alone? For he is the one that you are looking for. He is the one that you need. And Jesus desires a personal relationship with you that is deeper than the most intimate lover and the most personal friend. You and I were made to know the one who made all the stars and put the universe into place. And we will only find peace when we are in the arms of the one who calls our name. So look for Jesus. He is the one who is our hope in the face of despair and our joy in the face of sadness. And this leads me to my final point, to tell one another. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary, after saying Rabboni, instantly grabs on to Jesus and squeezes and clings to her, won't let go. Why is she clinging so tight? I think utter joy and utter fear. Utter joy that he's back and utter fear that I'm going to lose him again. And Mary, uh, Jesus is saying to her, you're not going to lose me, Mary. In fact, for the next 40 days, I'm going to be hanging around for one. But you do not need to fear that you will ever lose me again. Because I have come back from the dead to restore my relationship with you forever. I'm going to live in your heart through my Holy Spirit. That when I ascend to the Father and send my Holy Spirit, I won't just be with you, I will be in you. And we will have a closer relationship than ever. But he gives her a commission, right? Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father to my God and your God. In other words, Mary and anyone who is a disciple of Jesus, you are part of my family. You are my brother and my sister. And the heavenly father is now your father. I have brought you into my family because I died and rose and ascend to reign. You're welcome in my family. See, that's what this is all about in the end. 
Jesus died and rose so that we could have a place in the family of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, who, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There is no greater privilege on the face of this earth. We all yearn for a place to belong. With people, yes, but even deeper with our creator. And God created us that we might become sons and daughters. See, the resurrection is all about coming home. Jesus has made a way to bring us into the family of God, where we have a heavenly father who watches over us and a brother the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's close to us and lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And so he says to Mary, go and tell the disciples all of this, that I am alive. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, verse 18, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, this is very interesting, because if you look at the uh, uh, the passage as it goes on, you don't have it, but very soon, that night, Jesus will appear to the disciples. So why did he tell Mary to go tell them when in just a little while, he's going to tell them himself? I think it's because he knows that Mary needs to share her joy. And that the disciples need to hear from Mary. See, God not only speaks through himself, but he also speaks through one another. Each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are messengers of grace. Jesus came and then ascended so that each one of us would receive the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ in you and you and in me. And the Holy Spirit who is in me can minister to you as the spirit in you can minister to yourself as well. See, 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that Mary? Isn't that us? Jesus not only wants to live in you, he desires to live through you. I don't know if you know the lowest spot on planet Earth. It's the Dead Sea, which is in Israel. The Dead Sea is very interesting. It's bordered on one side by the Jordan and on the other side uh, by Israel. And it's called an endoeric lake. And what that means is that it has no outflow. While many streams feed it, it has no outlet, so no water from it ever reaches the ocean. And that's the reason that it's called the Dead Sea. Because what happens is the salinity of the water builds up because there's no freshened flow, if you will, of water going through it. 
it builds up. Only the harshest or the hardiest of bacteria can live in it. In the Dead Sea, you won't find any fish, plants, seaweed, or even birds living in it or very close to it. The Dead Sea. Now contrast that with the fastest flowing uh, water in the world, which is the Amazon River. And it's never a good thing when you don't have the last sheet of your sermon. Okay. The Amazon River has a flow of 209,000 cubic meters per second. That's an amazing amount of water that is flowing through this river. And if you know anything about the Amazon River, the Amazon River is all about life. Think of all the species that live in the Amazon River basin. See, what Jesus is doing with Mary and what Jesus desires to do with us is for his Holy Spirit to live in us and to flow through us. To go and tell others. Tell your brothers and sisters. Because we need to hear it from one another, don't we? We live by faith, not by sight. And though we have Christ's Holy Spirit, we fight against the world and the flesh and the devil, which seeks to communicate the exact opposite. And sometimes we fall prey to the lie rather than resting in the truth. And so you see, my friends, we have a commission as well to be agents and messengers of grace to one another about the truth that Jesus Christ is alive, that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. So am I a Dead Sea or am I an Amazon River? Is what God is giving and communicating to me? Am I allowing it to flow through me into those around me here in this church? Indeed, even into the world. You know, that's why we have community groups and lighthouse groups and men's groups and all sorts of organized things, but it doesn't have to be an organized thing that you participate in. It can be as simple as calling someone up, having lunch with them, talking about what Christ is doing in your life, maybe calling them and saying, I need to be reminded. Help me, I'm having a bad day. Tell me again what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for me. We're messengers of grace for one another. So seek his face. Listen for our name. And go to one another and be agents of grace. Look for Jesus Christ. For he is the one who is our hope in the face of despair. And our joy in the face of sadness. Don't look for a dead Jesus. You'll never find him. But if you look for a living Jesus, he'll find you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. Um, and you are our hope. You are our great master. You are the only one that could reach into the darkness of our hearts and bring light. And so, Lord, let us look to no one else but to you. Meet us wherever we are, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley. And shine the light of your love into our hearts. And give us the grace 
to be shiners of light to one another. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.